<clears throat> That's beautiful. It's an amazing thing um, to, yeah, like Sarah said, to have all our senses engage in this act of common union with each other and with the Lord. And I wanted this morning to um, carry on. We've been in a series this year uh, called Kingdom Life in a Broken World. What does it mean? What does it mean to be um, Jesus followers? 2,000 years after he he inaugurated the kingdom and and, um, and and yet we live in such a different kind of climate to what um, what he was living in. And, um, and in this teaching, this uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, we, uh, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, it's like the summary, it's like the manifesto or the, um, the yeah, the, I, in, a, in, in three chapters, he talks about what kingdom life is going to be like. And he starts talking with the Beatitudes and, and it, you know, that everything is upside down, that the poor are going to be blessed in the morning, that those who mourn are going to be comforted and just this amazing thing. And it's all about this thing of, of flourishing. And um, I, I guess one of the things that, um, that we wanted to pick up on is, is this reality that, it's, that the Sermon on the Mount is not just a, a whole bunch more things that you have to do. You know, we kind of had the Old Testament law, the Torah, and here's another, here's a whole bunch more hard things that we have to do. Um, and in a sense, the Sermon on the Mount does, it does correlate to the Ten Commandments, to the Torah. Um, but as John's Gospel announces, the law came through Moses, um, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus takes us through this, through this passage. It's been such beautiful um, beautiful beautiful series I've, I've been every week it's been um particularly when i'm not speaking um every week it's been beautiful just listening to how people are bringing out the truths of of what he's as he reinterprets what what the ten commandments may have meant and he kind of goes but this is the real meaning you know it's it's don't it's it's not just don't kill it's just don't get angry you know don't you know don't don't say cruel things about one another um, he he just pulls this thing apart, and and then as we a um, uh, couple of weeks ago, when Matthew opened up the first of the four warnings about the the wide gate, the narrow gate, the, the wide door, and the narrow door, and then last week we looked at this thing of um, true and false prophets, and this week we're up to this third, the third of four meanings, of uh, third of four warnings at the end of um at the end of the sermon on the mount so let me um i'm sort of stumbling over my words here but let me jump into it with this passage here so let me just let me just uh jump back here click that um and push that so this is where we are today not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't know about you, but that is probably one of the most chilling passages in the Bible. Um, you know, last week it was it was Jesus warning the deceivers and, and this week he, it's him warning the deceived. And, and on first read, you know, it seems like he's saying hard things to the good guys. You know, it's like these are people who are, um, as it says here, who, who have prophesied um, in his name that have driven out demons. I mean, that's got to be good news. Um, perform many miracles. I mean, a miracle is always a win. 
And it just seems like such a strange thing that he would turn this around and, and you know, and, the, and, and address the people that are taking the risks and doing the stuff of ministry and saying to them, I never even knew you. And, and I don't know about you, but, but when I read passages like this, it feels like, well, what hope is there for mere mortals like me and, and us? And, and, or it could be really easy for us to just kind of brush this off and think, wow, that doesn't really apply to me because that's not what I do every day. I don't prophesy every day in his name and drive out demons and perform many miracles in his name. So uh, it's probably, he's probably not talking about me, thank goodness. Um, so I should be sweet. And one of the things I guess that we learn about, um, about the scriptures is this, that, that it's always important. Um, when, you know, particularly from a devotional reading of the scriptures, it's always important to kind of let the scriptures read us. That, that as we read the, the Bible, it's not just, you know, we, um, and, I, and I know this is kind of cliche, but, you know, we don't read the Bible for information. We, we read it for transformation. And, and so we read these scriptures and, and, and we let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And, and he's, he's, he's not saying, you know, it, it, just, you know, you used the wrong words. You called me Lord, Lord, and you could have, should have called me a Messiah, Messiah. Or, um, you know, it, it's, it's much more about this. He's, it, it's not saying, you know, it's, it's not just about using the right words. It's not just about doing the right things. Um, it, it's interesting when you, when you flick over to um, Luke's, uh, Luke's recollection of this, of the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he puts it like this in Luke 6, uh, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do what I say. So Matthew kind of records it as saying, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the, do the will of my father. Um, and, and after this, he goes on and, and talks about the two kind of builders, which Matthew's going to speak about as, a, as our final warning as we, as we end this series in a couple of weeks' time. And, and I guess what we're seeing here is we're seeing, you know, if we don't do the will of the father, or if we don't do what Jesus said, then, then we really are, we're, at, we're a little bit in trouble here. Um, I've, I've got a commentary that I've really loved reading. It's, um, it's a commentary which looks at all the early church fathers, all the, all the early church leaders, and sort of says, you know, how did they interpret these passages? And um, again, let me just share the screen here. Uh, sorry, this is a bit of a clunky process. Um, but this wonderful man called Cyril of Alexandria, he um, he uh, born in the 300s, died in 444. And um, he was one of the, uh, he was a doctor of the church and he was a bishop. And, it's, and his, his commentary on this passage was this. There may be some who in the beginning believed rightly and assiduously labored at virtue. They may have even worked miracles and prophesied and cast out demons. And yet later they found turning aside to evil, to self-assertive deception and, to and, and their own desire. Of these, Jesus remarks that he never knew them. And he ranks them as equivalent to those who were never known by him at all. And even if at the outset they had lived virtuously, they ended up condemned. And God knows those whom he loves. And he loves those who single-mindedly believe in him and do the things that please him. And I just want to quickly pray for us. So, Father, I pray that as we, as we jump into this passage today, I pray that you give us understanding. I pray that we get the heart of what Jesus was saying here as he warned us at the end of this beautiful passage of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. Open our hearts, open our eyes to what you wanted to teach us this morning, we pray. Amen. So, I guess the question is this. You know, how is it possible 
to do these signs and, and wonders and miracles and not know God. Um, and, and, and I guess, you know, all of us have probably known people that, that once, you know, they once walked with God. If we've, if we've read the New Testament, we know it's a reasonably common occurrence. You know, you, you read some of the, um, some of the letters of Paul and, and there's almost this, this painful cry in some of his letters saying, you know, this person once walked with God, but now he's one of our, you know, he's, he's now an enemy of the gospel. And, and, it, and it's a crazy thing. He talks about, you know, how can we once having been enlightened be, you know, fall away and then, and then try and come back. And this, this, these are, these are kind of, you know, I, I've, I've chosen this, this um, passage, I've chosen to speak on this one. Um, and it's one of the hardest ones, I think, in terms of, gosh, this is, this is heavy. This is a, this is a hard thing. But, but, you know, how is it that, that it's possible to do these kind of things? And, you know, possibly even in our own lives, we'll know people who, who you know, who, who moved in signs and wonders, who, who reached out and, and, and were able to move the gifts of the Holy Spirit with ease and yet no longer walk with Jesus. And, and there's a passage in, in Romans 11, verse 29, it says, for, the, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Irre, yeah, irrevocable. And I know that's not the prime meaning of the scripture, but, but history proves it correct that, that God gives gifts to all of us humans. And, and we can use those gifts that he gives us. He gives, them, he gives us some gifts at birth. And, and we're just, every, every single human being is a gifted being. We all have something that we've received from him. And, and it seems that, that we can use those gifts for good, or we can use them for our own personal gain, or we can use them, you know, we, we can use them for evil, or we can use them for the common good. But, but those gifts are ours to use. Um, and I guess second of all, you know, when we're kind of thinking, how is it possible that it seems like he's saying, you know, some of you are going to say to me on that day, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, how is it possible that we could be that someone could so know Jesus that that intimately, and yet walk away from Him? Uh, and, and again, it, it seems you know again reading in the New Testament there was there was people who just you know who 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 were trying to use power from a different source. And um, let me read you a little passage out of Acts chapter nineteen, verses thirteen through sixteen. Um, some Jews who went about driving out evil evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Siva, a Jewish, a high, a, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on him and overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I mean, there's some great stories in the Bible, aren't there? Um, and, and this is kind of one of those ones, you know, it's kind of, it, it makes you kind of go, oh my gosh, you know, that, that, would, uh, that would make a great movie. But, but I guess the question we've got to ask ourselves here is, you know, how is it possible to do that kind of, those kind of um, works of power and, and works of good, you know, it, what a wonderful thing to be set free from something that's, that's oppressing somebody. Uh, and, and yet, for Jesus not even to know that person. And, and again, I guess one of the questions that we could ask ourselves is, you know, what's the thing? What's the distinguishing mind? What's he looking for from us? If it's not, if it's not power, you know, and the reality is this, that every, um, every religion, even atheists have access to power that's, that's supernatural, that's, that's beyond um, human ability, natural human ability. Every religion, 
um, in, in the world. All the world religions have their power or charismatic edge. Um, every, every world religion can see miracles take place. Every, every world religion um, can see things that are not explainable to the rational mind. You know, and, and the question is this. So, so, it, it's, so it can't be just about being a practitioner of power. Though, though Jesus is not saying here it's not a good thing to do those things. He's just saying, but you can do all that and not even know him. So really, I, I want to read us a, a passage again that's really familiar to us because this is one of the kind of, um, I guess, one of the fundamental scriptures that's really shaped when we started the, the vineyard movement in New Zealand. This was one of the key scriptures. And in, um, this is Exodus 33, verses 12 through 16. Moses said to the people, that, so the context is that, that God had asked Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt where they'd been enslaved for over 400 years and lead them into the promised land. And Moses says to the Lord, what you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know uh, whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. And if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and, your and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I guess there's, just, there's this reality that it's not power that distinguishes us. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not these works of wonder that distinguish us from people that, don't, that are not followers of Jesus. That the one thing that, that distinguishes us from, from any other kind of source of power in the world is this one thing. It's the presence of God. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. And God's promise to both the nation of Israel and to us who are followers of Jesus is this, that my presence will go with you. My presence will be amongst you. You know, and, and, and that's the one thing that we've got to long for. That's the thing that we're looking for in this whole, in this whole thing. We, this kind of scary scripture. It's his presence, his presence in us and his presence with us that distinguishes us from all other people on the face of the earth. And so the third question, I guess, to ask ourselves this morning is this. What does it mean when Jesus says, um, let me just read it to us again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And I guess the third question is this. You know, what's, so therefore, what's the will of my Father in heaven? And it's this, it's this kind of measure of obedience to the one that we love. It's this, it's this measure of, you know, in Mark, in Mark chapter 3, verse 35, it says, Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Um, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so there's, there's such an important question to ask. What's the will of God? And, and, and then when you, kind of, when, you, when you start looking to the scriptures and saying, well, what is the will of God? You know, there's, there's lots of verses that we can read. In, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says it's the will of God that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Uh, in the next chapter, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, um, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And, 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 and you know, as I was preparing this talk and, and just kind of reflecting again, what, what's Jesus looking for from us? What's, what's his desire for us? 
again, there's this beautiful, beautiful passage in, in John, um, John chapter 6. Uh, and I'm, I'm just picking a couple of parts of it out. Um, let me move on here. Um, in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, they asked him, well, so what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. Isn't, isn't it, how beautiful is that? The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. And then, and then a little bit further down in verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. You know, the Father's will is that we look to the Son. The Father's work, the work of God is this. The most important thing that we could spend our lives doing is, is to simply believe in the one that he sent. You know, how beautiful is that to believe in him, to look to Jesus and believe in him? You know, everything that has eternal value just comes from this, from this relationship that we have with God. You know, the, the, you know, even with Jesus, the power ministry that Jesus had came out of this relationship he had with the Father. Um, you know, a number of times we read, we read verses along this kind of line that Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed them. You know, it, it's such a beautiful thing that, that you know, that, that the power that he, that he is talking about and the power that he's almost repudiating here in, in, the, in this warning towards the end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount is, look, if this doesn't come out of this deep sense of knowing God, of looking to the Son, of loving him, if it comes from some other source, it's not really going to bless you know, and, and I, I think he wants to relieve us this morning, you know, as we look at a, you know, somewhat of a chilling passage, but I, I think he wants to relieve us. I, I want to, I want to just show you a clip from a, from a wonderful um, speaker called um, Henry Narwin. Um, and it's just a, just a short clip and hopefully my technology will work. You never quite know. Be one to success. Even the success that we call service, ministry. We want to see some cures. We want to see some changes. We want to see some products. We want to see something new happening because of us. But Jesus never asked us to be productive. Jesus asked us to be fruitful. And a fruit comes out of a broken ground. When we become vulnerable, broken, naked, disarmed, we can trust that fruits will be born. Even when you or I won't see it or know about it, even when you or I might say my life is a failure. When we live our lives in love, we can trust that it will bear fruit in our life or later. And those people whom we remember still as signs of hope, like St. Francis of Dorothy Day or Oscar Romero, were weak people who were in love and trusted that your life would bear fruit. Oops. How beautiful is that? I'm, I'm going to try and develop that preaching style as well. 
um, I haven't quite got it there. Um, but just beautiful, isn't that? It's just, he didn't, he didn't call us to be productive. He called us to be fruitful. It comes out of a broken ground. It comes out of this thing of looking to the sun, of, of just looking at him and, and, and allowing him to breathe life into us. And I, I think, you know, as we, as we look at this scripture again, when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. What Jesus is longing for is, is for us to know him. He, he's longing for us to just to have our lives rooted in this deep sense of knowing the one who loves us. You know, we produce fruit because we're loved. We produce fruit, you know, and, you know, and we love these, this activity of the Holy Spirit. We love to prophesy, you know. We, we love to see people set free when we see that, we're, that they're oppressed. You know, we, we love to see miracles take place. And, and it's, what a beautiful thing is that God's still doing those things today. And yet that's not what, that, that's not what causes us to be loved by God or to be known by God. You know, we don't do those things to try and make him love us or to, to, to kind of cause them to, to, um, to draw close to us. Everything we have, you know, all the fruit and the works that come out of our life just have to, be, have to come out of this deep sense of being connected to the one who loves us. They come out of our relationship with Jesus. I think earlier this year, I, I, I shared one thing that I, I was reading in a book by Bobby Shuler, and I just want to finish with this with this slide because um, I, I just think it's so important to us that, that he's not, Jesus is not wanting to scare us. You know, he's not, he's not wanting to chill us with this. He's wanting to remind us of just the simplicity of, of what it means to follow him. You know, the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about human flourishing. He's, he's inviting us to flourish, to not, to not trying to prove our worth by what we do, by, by not trying to kind of buffer up our, our um, what lacks in us, you know, because all of us lack, all of us are, are less than perfect, all of us stumble, all of us get things wrong, all of us say things that we regret, you know, all of us at different times, you know, we, we, we wish that we would do the things that we don't do, and we wish we wouldn't do the things that we do do. And yet Jesus is inviting us into this, into a beautiful life where, where we, um, we just live from the simplicity of, I need to find a way to move the next move to the next screen somehow. Um, and I don't know how. Let me see here. Maybe it's no. I think it's this one. That I'm not what I do. You know, my my life is not about what I produce. You know, it's 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 not the job. I, you know, I don't. I don't, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I don't have value because of what I produce. I don't have value because of my job, my, the, the things that I do with my life. I, I, my value is not in what I have or what I don't have. You know, I'm not what people say about me. I'm, I'm the beloved of God and no one can take that away from me. And friends, I, you know, I, I just think that's what Jesus wants to leave us with this morning. When, when he talks about this thing, and not everyone who comes to me, the Lord, Lord, and who says to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. And the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent, to love him. And, and I want to pray for us that, that that would be what we'd experience. You know, the, the thing that Jesus is going to ask us at the end of our life on earth 
is this simple question. It's going to be, he's going to ask us, did you believe that I loved you? And did you love me? I, I, you know, it, it just seems like such a simple thing, doesn't it? Do you believe? Did you love me? And did you believe that I loved you? And and I want us, um, I, we were going to do some, I, I was going to attempt to do some live worship, but I, I, the only microphones that I could find at home were noise-canceling ones. And every time I tried to play the guitar and sing a song, um, the the noise-canceling microphones seemed to cancel out everything I was doing. So clearly it decided that, that my guitar playing and my singing was noise. Um, and so what we are going to do is we're going to play, again, we're going to play a recorded track. And, um, uh, you know, we're, kinda, we're still trying to work towards getting something towards live worship.